0: Welcome to The Chapel Online. At The Chapel, we're about helping people meet, know, and follow Jesus on the campus, in the city, and around the world. Thanks so much for joining us today. You know, I know I love a good love story. I think we all do. We love love stories. We love love songs from rom-coms to Tragic couples like Bonnie and Clyde, Shakespeare's Much To Do About Nothing, Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice, Mr. Darcy and Elizabeth, moviegoers, man, can't get enough of the couples, the unlikely couples, like Silver Lining Playbook, are The Proposal, or Hitch, or Pretty Woman. Moviegoers have their fans of unlikely couples, that's for sure, but they also have their their favorites of just the most unlikely that crosses maybe an, you know, a, uh, a line of religion or ethics or or um, race. You know, I think of uh, the big blockbuster, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Uh, I've watched it a couple times, laugh every time. We seem to be addicted to love, and frankly, it's part of what makes the story of Ruth so appealing. Not only is there a great story of love, but there's a great story of redemption right in the middle of this, which is what we'll see today. Two unlikely people who fall in love with each other, their relationship changes the course of their lives and is part of what God uses to change the course of his people. It is through their rather unlikely, unexpected coming together that this all takes place. Their courtship, if you want to call it that, is really different to say the least. And we'll see today, it's actually strange. And as we read the passage and consider some of the literary elements of this book and of this chapter, which makes it so unique, we're going to consider the love we want, the love we wish for, the love we we have, not only from others, but most importantly, the love we have from God himself. Now, I want to remember, just giving you some context, Ruth has been working in Boaz's field, gleaning the harvest of barley. She's been allowed to harvest along with his workers. From her first day on the job, he has shown her favor. She and Naomi have had their needs abundantly met through his graciousness and generosity. The harvest, by the time we get to chapter 3, which is where we are today, the harvest is over. And so that's where we pick up our story. We're going to go through the whole chapter, chapter 3, Verse one says this, one day Ruth's mother-in-law Naomi said to her, my daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be provided for. Continuing verse two, now Boaz uh, with whose women you have worked is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash Put on perfume, get dressed in your best clothes, then go down to the threshing floor, but do not let anyone know you're there until he has finished eating and drinking. And when he lies down, note the place where he is lying, then go over, uncover his feet, and lie down. He will tell you what to do. And Ruth says, I will do uh, whatever you say, Ruth answered. Like I said, it's a little different. Now, Naomi's. Naomi, whose hope uh, is being restored by all this blessing she's had, she takes initiative. It's really for the first time since we started this book. She is seeking rest, not just simply a home, which is what our translation has. It's actually rest. And that's what Naomi prayed for back in Moab when she encouraged her daughter-in-laws to return home. Both of them, she said in verse uh, 9 of chapter 1, May the Lord grant each of you that you'll find rest in a home of another husband. This was on her heart from the, from the beginning. And they've gotten through the harvest, but now long-term provision, not just pro, uh, long-term provision and protection issues. It's not just enough to eat, which they have had. Now, Naomi is, is worried about Ruth. Some have questioned whether is she really worried about Ruth or continuing her family line. Is, is her plan, so to speak, to meet Boaz, really about continuing the line of Elimelech, uh, or is her most of her interest for Ruth. I, I think she's actually concerned about both, without reservation. Now if, if you want to read into this some kind of motivation that she's propping up Ruth to be a gold digger, because you remember, Boaz is a man of means. But if that's the motivation you take, I would think that would be a mistake. While Naomi's concern is for her, that is Ruth, it's, it's for her community. It's for her family. In other words, it's all mixed together. What's good for Ruth is really good for her family. And what's good for her family is good for Ruth. Then Naomi gives a little more direction. So that's it. Naomi gives Ruth direction. We could say it a different way. Uh, Naomi gives Ruth dating advice. That's what's kind of going on here. Not really. It's not really dating, but we're actually, we're going to use this setting to address dating next week. Now, we're going to take the opportunity of this odd chapter to talk about dating next Sunday. It's not something you talk a lot about in church, but I think you'll find it helpful if you join us next week. You don't want to miss it. So back to Ruth. See, first, Naomi explains to Ruth where Boaz will be and what he'll do. Boaz would be uh, working that night on the winnowing barley and spending that night to guard the harvest that they have from animals or thieves. He's actually going to sleep there. Now, how she knows this, I don't know. Maybe it was common, but he's the boss. Somebody else could have done it. I, I don't know. Maybe she had dug around a bit to say, hey, when is Boaz going to be there? Again, we don't know. Now, winnowing, it's a step in the process. Uh of processing grain whereby you you kind of separate the the edible parts from the inedible parts. The stalks are thrown up into the air with a a wooden shovel or a wooden fork, and and it it separates in the wind. That's what it does. The wind blows away all the stuff you're not going to eat, the chaff, and lets the heavier pure grain fall back to the ground. And as a rule, it was done in the evening. One, it's cool, but two, in that part of the world, the wind will shift and come out of the west and it'll blow in from the, uh, from the sea and it, it's gonna really uh, be, it's perfect for this environment. So that's where Boaz will be. The threshing floor of, of Bethlehem is located kind of outside and down the hill from the town. It was a large flat place where the landowners would work their, their, their harvest and, their, and they would thresh their harvest. And unlike other threshing floors, this one seems to be a common place where everybody would come, not just one owned by Boaz. And then I want to look at at verse 3 again because Naomi gets very specific. I need you to wash. She's talking to Ruth here. Wash, put on perfume, get dressed in your best clothes, then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you're there until he's finished eating and drinking. Now, you could read verse 3 and... interpreted a couple ways. We live in a super hyper sex culture. So you could read it through the lens that Ruth needs to pretty herself up, wash with oil, make her face shine, put on her best clothes. You gotta get this, gotta notice you, you gotta catch his eye. I don't know that that's what's going on because these words, it's interesting that these three words, I need you to bathe, I need you to anoint, I need you to dress, they're used elsewhere in the same combination to indicate the the end of a season of mourning or a real change in life. Now you need to remember, Ruth had lost her husband, and so I think she's likely uh, changing her clothes to indicate to Boaz that that her time of mourning, her husband, who uh, is over, and she is she's moving on. She's she's starting anew. She's finished mourning, and she's outwardly saying, "I'm ready for marriage." Sure, she wants to look good, and she is. But her actions are much more than simply trying to get someone to notice her. She's she's already done that. You might remember the first day she came on the job, Boaz noticed her. Now, Ruth is letting Boaz know she is available and desirous for marriage. And Now, being under Naomi's care and direction, her actions will be understood as being supported and directed by Naomi. She is an acting rogue and we'll see this in her response to Naomi. Again, verse five, Ruth says to Naomi, I'll do whatever you say. I will do whatever you say. And you talk about an act of trust and of faith. Her loyalty to Naomi and to God is absolutely amazing to me. This this plan seems like something that could, could, could go horribly wrong. She might be misunderstood was it dangerous to be out there at night all alone? And, and what did what did Naomi mean when she said, hey he'll tell you what to do. Had she talked to Boaz about this? Uh, her actions uh, they, she wants them to be clear, right but how much how much trust was Naomi putting in, in the character of Boaz, particularly after he's had his fill of drink it's <laughs> you know, this is just the craziest situation and Ruth says to her mother-in-law, I'm going to do what you say. In addition to that, the setting is, is full of mystery. You could almost say intrigue. Old Testament professor Edward Campbell would, would say this, that the storyteller, you know, is creating this air of mystery. And, and it's and it, he builds up a careful um ambiguity that is, is revolving. It involves whether, really, the ambiguity is whether Ruth's acts of approaching Boaz under these circumstances will end up and result in sex. That's, that seems to be what's going on. Let's see what happens. This is verses 6 through 9. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. And when Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in a good spirits, he went to lie down at the far end of the grain pile, and Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? He asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are my guardian redeemer of our family. Now, All this takes place at the end of the long day of working and then threshing into the evening. And Boaz, you know, he's going to eat his fill. God has provided. We're going to have a few drinks and we're going to relax in the cool of night. And so he's full and he's, he's at the very corner of the field, possibly in a tent, possibly in the open air. And it says, Ruth says uncover his legs now that that phrase is used elsewhere in the old testament euphemistically to mean something else additionally the the phrase lie down occurs 8 times in verses 4 to 14 and that phrase is often used of uh, to indicate sexual intimacy furthermore the phrase to know like adam knew eve and had children is also used in this passage Naomi we told Ruth to to know where he slept. That's what, that's what it literally said. I need you to know where he slept. Now, why all this innuendo? Why all this mystery? Why all this ambiguity? Are we getting the full story here or is there, is there more going on? Now, some will read this as the seduction of a drunk man, a woman who comes in the middle of the night uh, to this man. She's under the cover of darkness. No one knows she's there. She's on the far end of the threshing floor. But I don't think the language that's being used is used in that way to, to imply that there's really more going on. I think the language is used to reveal the real attraction between two people. If, if, this, if this were a movie and and we came you know the camera angle would be close and you would they would try to represent this attraction that these two people have you, you'd see it in their eyes or the music would change or the lens would become fuzzy or something like that but here's the important thing about these two people they're not going to act on their actions or their passions in an inappropriate way they could not and it'll become clear with Boaz's comments and response what is clear right now is the faithful and obedient response of Ruth All of this shows us Ruth is faithful and obedient in her response to her mother-in-law's direction. Now, her obedience led to a faithful encounter with Boaz. And I love his question in the dark. Startled, probably because he got chilled with his legs uncovered. He wakes up and he says, who are you? Now, you might remember the first time he saw her, he said, who is that woman? Now in the dark, who are you? And notice, this is the very first time Ruth gets to describe herself. It's the first time we hear her vocalize her understanding of herself. She doesn't say, "Uh, I'm a widow. She doesn't say, I'm a Moabite. She doesn't say, I'm Naomi's daughter-in-law. And all of those are the way the narrator and other people have described her in the first two chapters. What does she say? What is her response to Boaz? She, she, She gives her name, and her relationship to Boaz. I am your servant, Ruth, more literally translated, I am Ruth, your maidservant. I am Ruth, your maidservant. She identifies herself as someone known to him, and then she puts herself as a maidservant. I'm here, I'm humble in a place of humility. And then she doesn't wait for him to tell her what to do. You might remember, Naomi said, then he'll tell you what to do. She doesn't do that right away. Boldly, she goes off script and instead tells him what to do. What does she say? Spread your garment over me. Literally, it could be translated, spread your wing over me. Now, now this is the same word that Boaz used of Ruth when describing her kindness and and her faith in the Lord in chapter 2, verse 12. He said this, may the Lord repay you for what you've done for your mother-in-law, May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Simply put, Ruth is saying to him, I want you to marry me. Then she says something quite revealing. Since you are a guardian redeemer of our family, put me under your wing. Act like God, bring protection and salvation to my family. It's a lot. She's saying a lot, and this statement is an appeal to the loyalty, to the duty and the love of Boaz. Ruth has demonstrated her loyalty to Naomi by leaving her country and her family, her people, so that she could be with Naomi. And now she appeals to Boaz's sense of duty and loyalty to his clan and his family. But as we'll see by his response, he isn't just simply a dutiful man doing what he must But a man caught a little off guard in the middle of the night. I think he was completely surprised to find her at his feet in the middle of the night. He might have been a little caught off guard by her directness. But what really gets him, what really shakes him is her kindness. Her obvious love for Naomi, love for the Lord, and now to his surprise, her love for him. Look at verse 10 with me. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than, than which you have showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. Boaz is an older man, and he is floored. She could have gone after younger men, being a younger woman. And this, this kindness was unexpected. But, but let's be clear, it's not refused He's excited and also explains why Boaz may not have approached her in marriage. He didn't think she would marry him. He didn't think he was in the running. And he says, this kindness that you've shown, what is this previous kindness? Well, he remembers that kindness that she showed her mother-in-law by staying with Naomi, by leaving her people, by coming to Naomi's people. It was, a, it was that kindness in leaving her country and leaving her gods and worshiping the God of Israel, coming to live with Naomi and die with Naomi. Now in like manner, she's showing the same kind of kindness, that beautiful Hebrew word we've mentioned along the way, chesed. She's showing that to Boaz. And it is so much more than simply a passionate lust. It's covenant love and it stirs deeply into the heart of a man who has this deep character. His response suggests that he may have longed for, in his private moments, uh, for for a relationship with her, but he wouldn't let his longings or his passions be fanned into flame. He'd kept them back. He didn't think he was in the running for Ruth. And when we see and hear his reaction, they are truly telling. So Boaz's reaction to Ruth, we're going to see what that is. He, he, they're going to show you that eh, he's given this some thought before he, th- he became a reality. Listen to verses 11 and 12. This is what they say. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you've asked. All the people of my town know that you're a woman of noble character. And although it's true, I am a guardian redeemer of your family. There is another more who is more closely related than I. Verse 11 suggests to me through his willingness that he may have once hoped to marry her, but I, I think this really for two reasons, okay? First, he had talked about her or heard her talked about and showed interest at the city gate. He he knew what people had said about her. What was said about her is what's said about the the, the woman in Proverbs 31, that she's a, she's a woman of noble character, very similar to him in, in chapter 1. She was known and respected, even though she was a foreigner. Secondly, I think it's telling that Boaz already knew there was another guardian redeemer closer to her in the family. He knew it, and if he knew it, I think she did. And if she did, then he knows uh, she is choosing him over anybody else. So, given all of this, I have to scratch my head and think, Why hasn't Boaz ever married? Was it something in his family, namely his mother Rahab? Maybe. Maybe maybe it was tough growing up in a family where your mother is a Canaanite. And before she married an Israelite, she had been a prostitute. That would be hard. It would be very hard. Now, we have looked at the genealogy of, of Jesus and Matthew's gospel because it includes Ruth's name and it tells us a little bit more about the story of Boaz. That's where we realize that Boaz's um, mother was Rahab. Here's what it says, Matthew chapter one, verse one, and verse five. And this is the address and uh, genealogy, excuse me, of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then a few verses later, after going through some names, it says, Solomon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Of course, Obed would be the father of David and goes on from there. When we read this, we we see there's, there's Rahab, there's the Canaanite. We saw in Joshua 1 that before she married an Israelite, she was actually a prostitute, but we also see right there his father, Solomon. He's listed right there. I think that Boaz, had seen his Israelite father love his Canaanite mother who had this past. He knew that such a relationship could work, could work. He had seen it work. He had seen it be blessed by God in his parents. So Boaz knows what he needs to do and he gives Ruth some final instructions in verses 13 and 15. He says, stay here for the night And in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good. Let him marry you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And she said, no, uh, excuse me. He said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the shawl you've been wearing, hold it out. And when she did, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. Well, there they are. They're leaving the threshing floor unnoticed. And really, with some lasting questions, would the other guardian redeemer, the one that's closer in relationship to Elimelech, would, would, would he choose to be the guardian redeemer of this family? We don't know. Ruth is left to trust in Boaz's character and his plan. Ruth leaves and goes home to report the encounter to her mother. So we get the last phase of our story. Ruth's report back to Naomi. In verse 16, it says this. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? Good question. (laughs) <laughs> and then she told her everything that Boaz had done, and then she added, He gave me these six measures of barley, saying, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Ruth is asked to wait. One of the hardest things that we do in life, and one of the hardest things to do in our spiritual life is wait on God. Now each week as we've looked in the book of Ruth, we've we've taken some things we, that we've highlighted in the passage or a principle or an observation and we've talked about it in a minute. Today I want to close out our time by talking to you about Ruth's unwavering and active faith faith. Now faith, according to Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1, is the confidence of what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. Living by faith, the first thing I want you to notice, and we'll we'll highlight it, is faith acts. Faith acts. Many people will say, well, faith is simply a belief in something I can't see, like the creation of the world, or something in past history, like the resurrection of Jesus. I'm gonna have to believe in that and exercise faith. But we also see that faith is the means by which we live in response to God's commands. Living in submission to what God commands is the essence of faith. That's the essence of it. And Ruth said it very clearly in verse five. This is a statement of faith. I will do, I will act, right? I will do whatever you say. That's what she said to her mother-in-law. When we live by faith, We act, we step out. We don't try to manipulate the situation. Ruth didn't do that. Ruth is following a plan. She's following Naomi's plan and then the Lord's. And acting in faith is, well, it's gonna be most difficult when we don't understand it, or it's radically different from the culture around us. Did Ruth fully understand everything that her mother-in-law told us to do? I need you to go to this place at this time and do this thing. She had never done that before. And when the culture around us says something very differently, to believe and act on what God says is really hard. Let me give you an example. Take sexual intimacy, for example. God's directive from his word is that sex is designed to have this place where it flourishes. And it is in the context of of a protective uh, and nurturing commitment of marriage. That's his design. Now, you compare this with our current culture, and it suggests many ways to enjoy and express sexuality. God has one place for it. And to live and act in faith according to His plan, well, it's going to require faith. Faith to believe in His design and His plan. Ruth didn't just trust Naomi and her plan. She was ultimately trusting the the plan of God, and that includes having a guardian redeemer. Ruth is trusting in the provision of God for her future and that of her family, isn't it? Isn't well, that, that's always the challenge, isn't it? That I'm going to trust what God says, His provision for the future, for eternity, and this gets really hard when it seems inconceivable that what He's provided works, is necessary, makes sense. Let me just give you a few examples. Take Noah's Ark. Hey, I need you to build a really, really big boat because it's going to rain and rain and rain. Some scholars suggest there had been no rain. And you need to get in that boat and that will save you. That's God's provision, this, this, this Ark. Really? Can I trust this? Is it absolutely necessary? Or take the time in Israel's history where they were being disciplined by God and 23,000 people died of poisonous snake bites. And the people cry out to God and say, Relent, help us. And this is what he told them to do. I need you to craft a snake out of bronze and put it on a, a pole and hold it in the air and tell everybody to look at that. Really? That's the provision? This is God's provision? This is what... This is what you want me to do? There's snakes everywhere, and you want me to look at something? Consider this one. You may know this one. God says to the children of Israel while they're in Egypt, and the plagues are coming, the last plague, the plague of death. He says, listen, I need you to slaughter a lamb, and I need you to take the blood of the lamb and put it over the doorpost of your house so the angel of death will pass over you. This is your provision? I don't understand it. That's often the case. Ruth's faith acted. She trusted Naomi and did what she said, but she also trusted God's provision of a guardian redeemer, the old man Boaz. Now, where is God asking you to act in faith? Let me give you some some suggestions. Is he asking you to abstain from sex and trust in his design for it? Is he asking maybe for you to admit, to confess a lie, something you've stolen, something you've done wrong? Is he asking you to, to join and give of your time and talent and treasure to the cause of Christ? Is he asking you to take your time and use it in the church or the city to promote him, his kingdom purposes? What's he asking you to do to act out your faith? So not only is living by faith something we do, our actions, but faith also asks, asks. Verse 9, Ruth said to him in response to, who are you? I am your servant, Ruth. And then she asked him to do this. Would you spread out the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer of our family? The Bible says anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Faith asks. Ruth is so bold. One Bible translation translates that verse this way. Marry me, <laughs> your servant, for you are a guardian of our family's interest. Jesus would say it this way. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and the door will, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. So why don't we ask? Why don't we ask? James gives us some helpful, under uh, helps us understand our reluctance to ask. He says this. You know, you desire, but you don't have. So you kill, you covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motive, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. We may not ask because we're too prideful. Or we might ask because we we want certain things for us. But the faith that asks is going to ask in confidence in God, From a humble heart, we're asking him to do what he's promised, to provide what he's promised. What do you need to ask of God today? Do you need to ask for his provision? And are you in a situation where you just need to bow the knees of your heart, maybe yourself, and say, God, I need need your provision in my life. Maybe it's time that you've asked for his direction in your life, really, and uh, you're, you're ready and willing to do it. Here's one. Maybe you need to ask him for his help to get help. Maybe you're struggling with an addiction. Maybe you're struggling with um, something you can't get yourself out of, and you need to ask him to help you get help. I don't know what it is, but by faith we ask So faith acts, faith asks from a position of humility, and finally faith receives, we receive it. And what Ruth said to, um, what happened to Ruth, excuse me, in verse 15, he said, bring me your shawl, you're wearing, and hold it out. And as she did so, he poured into six measures of barley and placed a bundle on her, and then he went back to town. Ruth left the the threshing floor. She didn't have an engagement ring. (laughs) She had barley on her back. And when she left, she left with a promise. If the other guardian redeemer doesn't step up, I will. But I wonder, Willie? Really? We don't know until we get to chapter 4. I think she had great confidence in him. But um, you still have to wonder. He could possibly change his mind. She was a foreigner. She was a Moabite. But she received Boaz's gift in faith, and she leaves. And the chapter ends with us waiting, longing with her. Oh. What a great love story. What a great love story. But like we've said all along, there is a greater story, that this is just a representative of, that we are to focus on as we read Ruth and the the love story of Ruth, and that's God's love for us. The love story we're to focus on is between God and his people, between God and us, consider the great links that he's gone to secure our Redeemer. And consider Jesus, Christ, as our guardian redeemer. He is our kinsman redeemer. I wonder if you would, by faith, come to him. Would you cry out to him? Would you ask him for salvation? And then by set faith, would you receive it? Would you trust in his provision as Ruth did? God's provision for our sin, for our wrong, is Jesus, the God-man who died in our place and rose from the dead, having fully and once for all paid for our sins. Like Noah's Ark, when we're in Jesus, we are secure and saved. Like the snake that was raised in the desert, Jesus has been lifted up on the cross that we might look onto him and believe. Like the blood that's put over the doors, Jesus shed his blood so that we wouldn't have to die if we would just put our trust in him. God's provision, you may not fully understand it, but you can fully trust it. By faith, act. By faith, ask. By faith, receive. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely are declared right freely by the grace of God, His unmerited favor, through the redemption, His purchase of us, through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. He is our, He's our Paschal Lamb, if you will, through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance, He had left sins uncommitted, beforehand unpunished. Would you act by faith? Would you come to Jesus? Would you by faith ask, Jesus, will you save me? Would you by faith receive his salvation and his redemption? The love story of Ruth and Boaz, the sparks there on the threshing floor, the midnight encounter, her faith to trust Naomi and God's provision, her her asking Boaz to bring her under his wing, bring her into his safety, bring her salvation, and her willingness to receive from him. If we do this with Jesus, the great kinsman redeemer, the great guardian redeemer, what we will experience is salvation. I ask you to trust Christ today. Come to him by faith. I ask you to ask him to save you. Verbalize it. Say to him, Lord, today, I am going to confess that I believe that you died on the cross for me and that you rose from the dead for me. And I'm going to receive your salvation by faith. Wow, what a life changer. This is the God we serve. This is the God who loves us. This is the God who's gone out of his way to bring us redemption. Let me pray for us. Father God, I pray for those that... um, that need to act in faith to the things that you called them to, They need to ask you in faith for the things you've promised, They need to receive the things that you have given to them by faith so we might walk in the newness of life. And I pray for those that need to pray for today to come to you, to ask for your salvation, to confess their trust in your death, burial, and resurrection and receive from you their salvation. I pray for those that need to trust in your provision. If that's you, just let him know right now, right where you are, I'm going to trust you today, Jesus. And I declare that trust in this prayer, that you died for me, that you rose from the dead to give me life. And I'm so grateful that you'll forgive me and receive me, and I receive your salvation by faith. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for joining us. To find out more about the chapel, visit thechapelbr.com.